0: Well, this morning, I want us to continue with our series of Walk This Way. Today, it's part four, and I kind of thought maybe, perhaps, that I would uh, have today, I could get through and make today the final in this series, Walk This Way, since Joel Fink's going to be here next Sunday. There's no way, folks. There's no way. There's still too many things That we need to know what it is God's word says just in the book of Ephesians about how he would have us walk before him. How should we then live? Walk this way, part four. And we ended with Ephesians chapter four, verse 26. So if you will turn with me to Ephesians chapter four, verse 26. We hit on it just a little bit, but we didn't have the opportunity to discuss it the way I would like for us to to look at it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sin go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Be ye angry and sin not is referring to righteous indignation. I think it is incumbent upon believers, those who have been redeemed, those who have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself that we might have complete and total forgiveness, made new creations in Christ. It's incumbent upon us to study God's word and see sin the way that God sees it, hoping that sin disturbs us the way it disturbs God. Righteous indignation, seeing sin the way God sees it, not the way the world sees it. For years and years, I have heard, you have heard, the church has experienced That what we need to do in order to attract people to our church is you just need to compromise a little bit. So the church has been doing that over the years. Compromise, compromise, and you see the mess that it's gotten gotten us into today. Actually, what's happened, the world certainly, but the church also has just about changed the definition of sin. Isaiah 5, 20 and 21 talks about the fact that, woe to those people that see, put light for darkness and darkness for light, good for evil, evil for good. Where good becomes where right becomes wrong and wrong becomes right. Um, that's pretty much become what the world condition is today where what we're living in today is being called the post-Christian era, post-Christian era well, error, but error, and the hostility toward Christianity, biblical Christianity is what I'm talking about now. Biblical Christianity is extremely hostile. Have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed, if you're reading a book or you're watching a movie, That the storyline in much and most books or movies, if it has a Christian character, then that character is always harsh, intolerant, cruel, mean-spirited. Have you ever noticed that? In most movies today, if they're going to portray a Christian. It's always he's the un or she's the unreasonable one. She's the one that wants to ruin everybody's fun and just not going along to get along. And they write their character in to make them a very uncaring individual. Intolerable. Hateful. It used to be that the butler did it, now it's the preacher. You ever watch a movie or a mystery, especially one of the the British? It's usually the preacher or the organist. Sorry, Karen, They're, they're the ones who did it. See, that's the world that we live in today, folks, and I gotta tell you, there is a battle for the hearts, the minds, and the souls of people today, especially your children, especially your children. We need to accept the fact that the way of God is absolutely, positively not the way of the world. And today, unless you agree that love is love, unless you embrace a woke agenda, you will be considered intolerant, uncaring, a right-wing religious fanatic that really don't care about people where the opposite is actually true. We care enough to want to speak the truth and do that in love. If your opinion today differs from the woke agenda then you're accused or can be accused and I think it's going to get worse can be accused of hate crimes certainly going to be accused of being bigoted and it continues for a call and I find this I find this atrocious, I find this surprising, but it shouldn't because we know Satan's working. But it's increasingly increasingly more and more dangerous for Bible-believing Christians to voice their opinion to the point that there are those who are calling for artificial intelligence be allowed to rewrite a Bible because this one is offensive to a lost and dying world. This one is offensive to those who are lost. And so there are those that believe that if we could just somehow key it all into artificial intelligence and have a robot that has the benefit of all the world's knowledge and all of the world's moral, ethics, standard piped into it and just let it write a new Bible. Oh, how gracious, how good that would be. I've got to tell you, that would be destructive. It would be destructive. And I think the results of all of this, and this goes back to be angry and sin not, because I'm telling you, church, we better find out again in the 21st century what righteous indignation is all about. But what's happening, what it's leading to, that we get tired of arguing, don't we? Get tired of debating. I know I do. So what happens is we just stay quiet. We just sort of go silent. And I'm convinced that's what the other side wanted all along. I remember a long time ago, there was a a song. I think the group was called Harvest. And the song talked about, are we walking into the enemy's camp, laying our weapons down, uh, shredding our armor as we go leaving it on the ground? We'd better get, I forgot exactly how it goes, but we'd better get brave in the power of God, something like that. But the whole point is, are we entering into the enemy's camp, and we are in the enemy's camp, laying our weapons down, just surrendering? And I don't think it's surrender. I think it's something... We would never surrender. I, I'm from the deep south. That's not in our DNA. We just don't do that. But you know what happens? It's not surrender. It's apathy. It's apathy that I think is taking hold of the church where people just aren't caring anymore that people are lost and dying and going to a Christless hell, Amen. eternity. Apathy. I somebody said. I don't. I don't know where it, it popped up on my Facebook. Anybody else have things that just pop up? And it looked interesting because it was a huge football field. I don't even know where this took place. I don't even know who organized it, but there was a huge football field, and down on the field. And in the stadiums, it was filled with people. And down on the football field was hundreds, hundreds of drummers all sitting at their drum. There were hundreds, hundreds of guitar players out on the field. There were hundreds, hundreds of singers Uh, a one-mic stand and two or three people around this mic stand. There were pianos, hundreds of, as many as you could get into a football field. The The stadium was filled with folks, and they had gathered in order to play and to celebrate the song, Highway to Hell. Highway to Hell. Have anybody ever seen that video that I'm talking about? Well, good, because it broke my heart. I mean, these people were joyous. They were excited. They were dancing. And the song is catchy, unfortunately. And I, I don't know the words to it, but the whole theme of the song. How many of you ever heard the song, Highway to Hell? So, you know, highway. I'm on a highway to hell. And they were jumping up and down and they were dancing and they were proud of that fact. And I watched that and it broke my heart. It broke my heart. and But I had to fight through the apathy. Well, if you're so of that then go but the Lord quickly convict me convicted me of that I don't want them to do that they and we're talking about young people there are a few old people there too and they were rocking out on their guitars I wished I really wished that instead of having this, there was a, a handsome guy up there directing. He looked cool in the way he was dressed, and and he, you know, he was he was conducting it, and he was going through all the gyrations of. And I mean, he was spot on, and he was good, and and the whole people as they were rocking out with big smiles on their faces, that they're on a highway to hell. And I find myself wishing, oh. Why couldn't it just be the devil himself up there? Boy, I wish the devil did have big horns and a long tail and an evil-looking face and and a pitchfork, and he was waving so that people could actually see who it is they're following. But instead, oh, no, no, it's not going to be that. So you watch this, and I think you... First, like I said, there was a touch of apathy. Well, you idiots. If that's what you want to do, you just go right ahead. But then I realized, oh, that person and that person and that person. Oh, and that person. that Christ Jesus loves so much. God, may my attitude be what your attitude is, is that you look beyond their fault and by your amazing grace and love, And you're long-suffering. That's what we need to pray. Lord, help me to be as long-suffering. Help me to be as, as patient as you are. I think I've said this before. I would have pulled the plug on us a long time ago and said, that's it. Enough is enough. Speaking the truth in love is what we need to be doing. Realizing that there are consequences to our compromise, to our ap- apathy. Because what happens is it conv- when we grow silent, it convinces the other side, well, we must be correct. If we have no opposition, to, if, if we are no opposition, then it's, <laughs> they're exactly right. It is a broad highway to hell because it's faith. It's hearing God's word. Faith comes by hearing. But, whoa, we dropped the ball when it comes to preaching that. Verse 26, and be ye angry and sin not. Verse 27, neither give place to the devil. The word place there literally is opportunity. Don't give opportunity to the devil. And the next few verses are going to tell us how we give place to the devil. Know this, Satan is not, not omniscient. He, he doesn't know everything. Can't read your mind. He, he's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere. He's not all-powerful. Glad of that? He's not all-powerful. But see, he didn't have to be able to read your mind. We broadcast. We broadcast. Our flesh makes sure he knows here's our weakness. And so he knows how to bring temptation into our lives. I think it's interesting, verse 28, let him that stole steal no more. Evidently, that was a real issue. In Ephesus let him that stole still no more but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to them that needeth that's absolutely correct look at verse 29 you don't want to give place to the devil let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. We're guilty of that sometimes? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. I was talking to a young girl yesterday and she learned that I was a pastor and and she just said I just love I love the Lord Jesus and during the point of the conversation she let out several cuss words and she said "Oh, I'm so sorry I I, I you need to pray for me pastor I she was out in Herman, so I'm not talking about anybody here so don't look around and was that janet yeah Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. That's what, don't give place to the devil. Don't give him opportunity. We need to focus on what are we doing to build up the body of Christ, to encourage one another in their faith, in their walk, not sliding the way the world just likes for us to slide verse 30 by the way as we've said we're not under the law amen we're under grace <laughs> praise god for that but that does not mean that there aren't imperatives and that's what we've been going looking at that mean there aren't imperatives that there aren't directives that we are to follow as grace believers as a matter of fact the next verse has one that's extremely directive it is a huge imperative to us verse 30 and grieve not the holy spirit of god whereby you are sealed into the day redemption the imperative that we have in the scripture is do not grieve the Spirit of God and by virtue of the fact that it's there tells us what we can do it he's talking to believers in Ephesus he's telling believers do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God and I hope and pray this morning that just the thought of you being able to grieve the Holy Spirit implores you to go, Lord, I don't wanna do that. I don't want to grieve you. See, it's just like in Romans 6, verse 13, where it tells us not to yield our members as instruments of unrighteousness. See, that implies, Christian, you can yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. And the Bible is very plain, it's very clear. You have been redeemed. You have been made a new creation. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to God. But in case you sometimes do that, because I know I do, so just in case at times you do that, God loves us so much. Look, look at what he put the next part. Whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Take joy in that, Christian. Take comfort that you have been sealed. Be assured from that verse that eternal security is absolutely, positively yours because you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? What does it mean to be sealed by the Holy Spirit? A seal affixed implies possession or security or ownership you have been sealed the holy spirit has placed on you now look at it as earnest money look at it as down payment look at it as god saying while you're here and you have by faith trusted him for salvation and eternal life one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit, which you can grieve, grieve not the Holy. Don't grieve him who has also affixed God's ownership seal on you saying, they're mine. They belong to me. That's what this is all about. And how long? Until the day of redemption. Until the rapture of the church. When this mortal puts on immortality, this corruptible puts on incorruption, And I don't care how hard Satan tries to pull that seal off. There is no instrument. There is absolutely nothing he can do. You didn't seal yourself. The Holy Spirit seals you the moment by faith you trusted Christ as your Savior. What a Savior! What a Savior! The ceiling is the earnest that the Holy Spirit supplies confirming that God will follow through with his promise to provide you with eternal life. That ceiling is God's promise that you belong to him and that nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ. Talk about a plan of salvation. See, he had already mentioned that to the church there in, in, in Ephesus. Look over to Ephesians 1, verse 14. Well, verse 13. In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed you were sealed with that holy spirit of promise which is the earnest you ever bought a house you ever bought something where you had to put Well, what's your earnest money what are what are you going to provide that's going to guarantee that you're going to follow through with this transaction well that's what earnest is except it's not us putting down anything it's god himself that's putting it down. The Holy Spirit in whom you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. May I see a hand of who are the purchased possession? Two hands if you want to. Those who by faith have trusted Christ. Both hands, both feet. That'd be difficult, but get a taste of the rapture, I guess, if you could do that. <laughs> Which is the earnest of our inheritance. Which, remember, last week we talked about walking worthy of that inheritance, of that calling. It all just fits, so part of what God has called us to do. That inheritance. It's an important doctrine and this sealing is one that we really need to spend more time on it needs to be something we proclaim and that we understand more fully see when you doubt your salvation just remind the enemy i'm sealed i'm sealed yeah i know i don't deserve it yeah i know that i struggle Take it up with God. Take it up with Him, and that's no excuse, folks. That's no excuse. I, I went to college. Two two guys, both. One was in my dorm. The one was right next door. So we spent quite a bit of time together. Um, the the one guy, that was a good friend. I mean, good friend. He he used to say, God made me this way. It's you know, we talk about sin and struggles and and difficulty, and and he would say, wait, this, it's God's fault. He made me this way. And he wanted to blame God for his struggles and his sin and his difficulty. Another guy that was in our dorm, weirdest guy I've ever met. But anyway, that's a whole other story. He, he was under the impression, and he, evidently he hadn't read all of Of Romans 5 and and Romans 6. But he had read the part about where grace abounded, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And evidently he stopped there because the next scripture says, Well, should we sin that grace may abound? God forbid! No! Well, he never got that far. He just thought, Well, I'll sin in order for God's grace to abound. I told you he was weird. So we have no excuse because we are under grace. We have no excuse because we're not under the law. We have no excuse that we've been sealed. Okay, that's good. See, our eternal life, our eternal salvation, our eternal security is a reason to serve, not an excuse to sin. And we, we need to remember that. But I'm glad of this morning that there is absolutely no return policy on God's part. Aren't you? Wouldn't blame him if he had one, but he doesn't have one. There's no buyer's remorse with God. Aren't you glad of that this morning? I know I am. So walk this way. Walk this way. It's what God's word says. Ephesians chapter 4. Let all bitterness and all wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. You, Ephesians, how dare you? But evidently, this was a warning to them. Paul was writing to believers. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Malice is a desire to do harm. So that's what not to do. Look at what to do. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you walk this way. Somebody done you wrong, forgive them. Having a quarrel with someone right now? Forgive them. There's no excuse for it. Chapter 5. Ow. Chapter 5. There's Speaking of batteries, Tim, this clock up here needs a new battery. I got another thirty minutes according. And we'll spend more time next week on chapter five. Walk this way. This is probably the the ultimate scripture text for walk this way. And be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Followers of God. You know what the word followers is in the Greek? It's mimetis. Mimetis. It means be an imitator. We get the word mimic. Mimic from that Greek word. And God's word is very clear. Be ye followers of God as dear children. The The word dear there is the same word that God uses in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, when he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. God calls you to be followers of him as dear children, just like because you're in Christ, therefore you are a dear child of God. He, it's the same endearing term. It's the same term that we can embrace and know that what God the Father thinks of us who are in God the Son is as dear children. But be ye followers, imitators. Now look, I know that you can't be omnipotent. God's omnipotent. You, can, you can't be an imitator there or omniscient where you know everything. Or omnipresent. You can't be everywhere. Those attributes, those characteristics of God, you can't follow. But the attributes of love, you can. That means not to speak the truth. Again, we speak the truth, we do it in love, right? But we still speak the truth. and We don't apologize for believing what's in this book. We could still be... Merciful, we can still be gracious. We can still be patient. We can still be kind. Holy, we can still be all of those attributes and characteristics of God. We are instructed to be, therefore, imitators of God as dear children. Because that's exactly what you are. You know, and that verse has always been important to me. The very first sermon that I ever preached at St. Louis Bible Fellowship was that scripture. That was the very first sermon that I ever preached. 26 years ago today, I preached that sermon. 26 years ago today. And as I thought about that, there was no one here to say, oh, no, you didn't. Marge, she kept a record. She knew. She never threw anything away. But it's twenty. Oh, Faye was here. Yeah. Thank you, Kevin. I almost blew it. Faye was here. She's the only one left. Don't you go anywhere either. Okay. Faye was the only one. The only one left. Neil, Neil, and Diana were part of the church. They weren't here on that Sunday. Janet and Diane, and were you there that Sunday? That first, that first Sunday, Neil and Diana were part of St. Louis Bible Fellowship. Janet and Carolyn were part of St. Louis Bible Fellowship on that on that Sunday, but they weren't there. We're, we're, and, no, it was down on South Jefferson at the uh, German Culture Center. We'd, the building had been sold down on Minnesota and P- Potomac. We were looking for a building and God provided that, but I digress. This is the sermon, and I, but I, I thought, they're all gone. They're all gone. They were precious folks. You talking about people willing to step out on faith. That was that small group of folks, and I loved them dearly, and I know <laughs> I'll see them again. Bill and Ada came not long after that, and then God just started blessing us in a tremendous way, and he has blessed. He has been so faithful, and I am glad this morning that I belong to him, aren't you? And then he calls me to walk in his way. He directs us to walk in his way, to walk this way. Because that way is pleasing to him who owns me. He, I am part of the body of Christ. He owns me.